0: Thank you for being here tonight to worship the Lord with us. We are thrilled for your presence. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, we were living in Tampa and it was a Mother's Day, and there was an older lady uh, in the nursing home that we would see quite frequently. Um, She was very sweet. Uh, had great difficulty hearing, but she was almost 100, um, but she was a very sweet lady. And we went to see her one day on Mother's Day, and uh, Christy was just kind of indiscriminately, indiscriminately <laughs> greeting everyone saying, you know, happy Mother's Day. Particularly with this lady that we talked to you know, quite often. Uh, Christy says, Happy Mother's Day with excitement. And uh, we didn't realize this till that moment. And, but she says, well, well, thank you. But she says, I- I'm not a mother. I, I-, I never married. And we were just kind of call, you know, what do you say next? But Christine used just the right words. She says, honey, you haven't missed anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there's no better preparation we could have had for what we're about to do in looking at some things from Scripture than those songs that Paul just led us in. All of those in one way or another helping us to see the power of the Word. Now, we're going to lay a couple of building blocks before we get to that point. Just mention them rather quickly as we talk about God and Scripture. As we talk about God and Scripture... First of all, we have to get some appreciation for the fact that God is infinite. Now the passage I want to look at here with you is Romans 11. We'll refer to these others, but in Romans 11, verse 33. Now understand, in Romans 1 through 11, Paul is dealing with God's grand scope of salvation in Christ. In a world where all have sinned, God has opened up the door of salvation for all through the death of Jesus Christ. And as he ponders this for 11 chapters, he states in Romans 11 verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment and unfathomable His ways. It's like Paul is lost in the wonder, the grandeur of it all as he has talked about this. And he exclaims, oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And as we study the Scripture, it should always lead us to that conclusion. As we study all the passages that deal with salvation in Christ, it should lead us to that conclusion that our God is an infinite God. In Psalm 147 verse 5, Great is our Lord and in in abundant in strength. His understanding is indefinite. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, his understanding is inscrutable. So God is great beyond our ability to grasp. Now, now we see that in those verses. But isn't that just a natural conclusion you would draw from creation even if it wasn't specifically said in Scripture? You think about how vast our universe is. You think about all the various factors that have to exist in the proper ratio for human life to exist to begin. With. You talk about the human body and how it is designed. It should lead us to that exclamation: "Oh, the depth!" Both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. All of that should lead us to that conclusion. God is utterly infinite. And we are never going to grasp God. We're never going to figure God out on our own. Now, I would say that that we're not going to figure God out even if He reveals Himself. But the Bible still says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in Ephesians 3 verse 20. So, so we're never going to figure God out even having all that God has revealed about Himself. But now that we have what God has revealed about Himself, we have the Scriptures as an autobiography of God As we have that and we look at it and examine it, it does give us a basis on which to understand Him enough to have a relationship. But but, but our point... Our point is, we're never going to figure out God on our own. Today we mentioned Jeremiah 10 verse 23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his steps. I am not an adequate guide for my life. And you are not an adequate guide for your life. We are dependent upon this God's instruction and direction. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. And in 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 25, the Bible says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you understand that's accommodative language. There is no foolishness in God and there is no weakness in God. But even you take what would be considered as God's foolishness. It is the God's, the foolishness of God is much wiser than any man can do. God is infinite and we will never figure God out But God, in His grace, has revealed Himself. He's not trying to hide. He's not seeking to hide. But He is seeking to reveal who He is. If your Bible is still open to 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 21. For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God or come to know God. Come to in italics in the New American Standard. The world through its wisdom did not know God. In God's wisdom, in God's infinite wisdom, the world cannot figure Him out by their own thinking in their own philosophy. And yet, the Bible tells us in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now this is particularly talking about the cross of Christ. In verse 18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved is the power of God. The cross is at the very foundation of God's revelation of Himself and who He is and what He has done. It is at the very heart of it. But but the point is that God that God in His wisdom is not known by the world. He cannot be figured out by the best of human thinking, but He has chosen to reveal Himself and His ways and His words through Scripture and through the acts of Jesus. For the foolishness of the message preached, God was pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He's not talking about the message of the gospel being a foolish message, but he's saying that's how it's characterized for the world. The fact that one who was God became a man and in the person of Jesus came to this world to die for our sin. The Greeks consider it foolishness. The Jews consider it a stumbling block, as the text says. But to those who are saved, it is God's power and God's wisdom. It is a profound power to change our life. God is infinite. That he said in Scripture, we can deduce that from natural revelation. And we as the Creator are not brilliant enough to figure out the path to the infinite Creator. But God, in His grace and His mercy, has not kept Himself hidden, but He has disclosed Himself through his words and through his words. Now these foundation stones lead us to the point that we're trying to make, that God reveals himself in scripture. The point that I'm going to make, and I give this source If any of you want to read further, and I can give you the pages if you so desire. But I first saw these arguments made uh, by a man named B.B. Warfield over a hundred years ago in a book, The Inspiration and Authority of Scripture. But I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans 9. Please turn with me here. I know in a topical lesson... Sometimes you might choose just to listen and not to follow in Scripture because we're not just looking at one text. But I want you to see this point. In Romans 9 verse 17, the Bible is talking about God having mercy on whom I will have mercy and having compassion on whom he will have compassion. And this statement is made in verse 17. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raise you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through all the earth. Now some of you have a footnote in your Bible or a marginal note a a middle column which has a reference to Exodus 9 and verse 16. Because this quotes from Exodus 9 and verse 16. Now I invite you to look back at that context of Exodus 9 and who is it who is speaking to Pharaoh. Now, God is speaking to Pharaoh through the agency of Moses, but it's God who is speaking. For in verse 13, Pharaoh, Moses was told, Go to Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord. And God says in Exodus 9, verse 16... In order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. I have done this to to do this. In other words, God spoke these words. God spoke these words. But when Romans 9 verse 17 quotes these words, it introduces these words not by saying that God said. But it says, Scripture say Now the same thing happens in Galatians 3 in verse 8 In Galatians 3 and verse 8 the Bible says the scripture the scripture foresee that God would justify the gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed in you. Now many of you recognize that quotation. The scripture foresees that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach in you all nations will be blessed. A quotation from Genesis 12 and verse 3. Now again, I ask you to examine the context in Genesis 12. Who is speaking in Genesis 12? In Genesis 12 verse 1, the Lord God said, and he pronounces these blessings upon Abraham. He calls Abraham, leave your country, leave your kin. Then he pronounces six or seven blessings upon him in verses 2 and 3. But God said, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. The things that God says are attributed to Scripture. Now, it is more frequently done in the New Testament in the opposite direction. The things that Scripture says, God is said to say. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, in verse 24 through 26... The early apostles have been opposed for their preaching of Christ. They gather together, they pray, and when they pray, they quote scripture. They quote scripture in their prayer. It's just interesting to see how frequently that happens in scriptures in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well. But in verse 24, they pray, O Lord, it's you who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand. Their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Now, those words from Acts 4 are a quotation of Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, look at Acts 4. Acts 4 says the same God who created the heavens and earth in verse 24 is the same God who spoke these words by the Holy Spirit and the mouth of David. Why did the Gentiles rage? I just invite you, again, examine the context of Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, Why do the heathen rage? And the peoples imagine a vain thing. Who is speaking in that context? David is pouring out his grief and his bewilderment at the nations and their insane hostility to God. How in the world could these nations be so ungrateful to the God who has given them everything? Why do the Gentiles rage? And the peoples imagine a vain thing. Those were not the words of God spoken. Those were the words of David. But they are the words of God too. Because you see just like what God said Scripture said sometimes it goes about it in the other way. What Scripture said God Says, we can look at all kinds of examples of this. You look at Hebrews one; we're not going to look at that one, but Hebrews one contains just a passage after passage quoted from verses five through fourteen. Most of them are words in the Old Testament addressed to God. But they are introduced in Hebrews 1 as if they were a quotation from God. Because what Scripture says, God is pictured as saying. And I did want to look at Hebrews 3.7. Hebrews 3.7 is going to quote from Psalm 95. And Hebrews 3 and verse 7 tells us, Therefore just as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, in context, Psalm 95, it is not God speaking. He does speak in some of Psalm 95. But in Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8, it is the writer speaking. And he's making an appeal to people. Listen to my voice. Don't harden your hearts. Pay attention to what God says. But words in the Old Testament spoken spoken on God's behalf are considered His words when they are included in Scripture. Words that are God's words can be said to be the words of Scripture. And words that are Scripture's words could be said to be the words of God. Because Scripture and God was so close together in the minds of these people as to use God said and the Scripture says interchangeably. I beg you, think about that. Because that is more profound than I have the ability to adequately communicate to you. The words of Scripture are the words of God, and the words of God are the words of Scripture. Now, I I, I know, I recognize that even the devil's cloaking in Scripture. I know that. The Bible often quotes someone's words that in the big big context it shows are wrong and it shows are foolish. Certainly that's the case. And everyone acknowledges that. But when you take this whole text and, and you look at it properly, it is the revelation. It is the Word of God. And God is not trying to hide himself. God revealed himself through Scripture, through his words and through his works. And therefore, it's it's only reasonable to conclude, and Scripture affirms, that if someone truly seeks to do God's will, they can see his work. In John chapter 7, in verse 16, Jesus said, My teaching is not mine, but it is His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I'm speaking it for myself. If you want to find out, The truth of my words. God spoke in such a way, God communicated in such a way that we can understand his revelation. He is not hiding. In Acts 16, excuse me, Acts 17, 26, and 27, the Bible tells us he is not far from every one of us. God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. God is seeking to bring us into relationship with him. And therefore his revelation of himself, his revelation of his infinite being is written in such a way as to as that people who can who want to know his will can grasp it. In Ephesians 3, Paul said, That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The God who's not high wrote his word in a way that all who seek him can find him. Lord willing, the first is just a reminder, Lord willing, on Tuesday night uh, at 7, we're going to study Psalm 82, and that is a psalm that's quoted in the New Testament in John 14, or excuse me, John 10, verse 34, and we're going to do our best with that, Lord willing, on Tuesday night. But Tuesday morning, I also have opportunity to teach the once-a-month class on Psalms, and it's on Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is, not, and by the way, not the whole Psalm, just about 16 verses of it. But Psalm 119 is one of the Word's greatest testimonies to the world. But I'll tell you something that's hit me as I've been thinking about Psalm 119 is the Word of God takes on the character of God. Let me illustrate. You're familiar with the statement, or are you familiar with Peter's confession? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. God is a living God. The word of God in Hebrews 4, 12 is living and active. Just like God is a living God, God's words are living. <laughs> psalm 42 is a beautiful psalm about the psalmist desire for God. And he said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirst for God for the living God. We sing the Psalm: There is a God, He is alive. God is a living God. He's affirmed to be that, I think, 15 times in the Old Testament and 15 times in the New Testament. God is a living God. That is a characteristic of God Himself. That is also a characteristic of His Word. It is a living Word. And it is also... It is also a description of what God's word is able to do for us. Psalm 119 verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust revive me according to your word. Revive me according to your word. Psalm 119:25. That word revive that word revive is connected to the word used. It's the same family word, same root word as used in Psalm 42. God is a living God. God is a living God. His word is a living word and his word is able to produce in us results these same results; they're able. It is able to revive us, even when we're broken and discouraged, and our soul is cleaving to the dust. In verse ninety-three, and there are all kinds of verses that use this word "revive" in Psalm one nineteen. I will never forget your precepts. By them, you have revived. Me. What I'm suggesting, if we need a revival, how can we create a revival in our life by looking to the living God and His living Word? And that living Word is able to create in us to revive us. When we're broken, when we're discouraged. The more you read the Word, the more you reflect on the Word, the more you ponder the Word, the more you let that Word be your God, it conforms us to His image and His life. It leads us to have His character. To love those things that God loves. To oppose those things that God does. It shapes us. It molds us. It transforms us into His image. Scripture is able to do this because the living God has spoken His living words, and it is able to create in us a clean heart and to renew in us a steadfast spirit. We could point out other illustrations of what's said about God, what's said about the Word, and what the word can accomplish. But let me tell you something that a preacher about 15 years older than me told me one time: that often, he said, I have found myself looking for help with some problem and reading a daily reading or reading a passage of scripture that I wasn't reading because of my problem. I was reading a passage that, as a matter of fact, didn't touch upon the thing I was concerned about. And yet, in reading the scripture, suddenly, I saw the answer to my difficulty because the God who longs for a relationship with us has written His Word in such a way as to draw us nearer to Him, to bring us into relationship with Him, and to sustain and strengthen that relationship until we come into His presence throughout eternity. Paul said, I commend you to God And the word is grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Acts 20 and verse 32. Let us pray. O Lord our God, how awesome and holy you are. How infinite. And beyond our ability to grasp, you are. And Lord, we confess that sometimes we have leaned in our own understanding instead of submitting to you in all things. Help us, Lord to not lean in our own understanding but to trust in you with all our heart understanding that we are inadequate guides of our lives and the lives of others but we thank you God that you have revealed yourself you've revealed yourself when we couldn't understand you and couldn't figure you out and you have revealed to us plainly enough and clearly enough that we can walk with you, that we can have fellowship with you, that we can love you, Thank you, O oh Lord, for your amazing goodness and kindness and grace, in your revelation of yourself, in your words and in your works of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And may we, O God, may we be, O God, a people conformed to your likeness who are saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you want to be in right relationship with this infinite God, a God who loves you more than I can adequately express and a God who demonstrated it by giving His Son to die on the cross,